This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. And welcome to the Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today we're going to do a cost of living special. Inflation has skyrocketed to 30-year highs and, according to official forecasts, won't be stopping anytime soon. So how do financial planners and their clients navigate this? I'm joined by Jessica Gear, an associate planner at Magenta Financial Planning, John Dean, Head of Retirement Strategy at Altus, and Stephen Cameron, Public Affairs Director at Aegon, who are going to help me attempt to answer this question. So hello, everyone, again, <laughs> and thank you very much for being here today. How are you all doing? Good, thanks. Very good. Thank you, Nicola. First of all, I have to say a particular thank you to, to all of you because it is tax year end. And I know that for financial planners particularly and financial planning firms, that is, you know, one of the busiest times of year, really. So, Jess, how's your week going? How are things at your firm? And thank you again for making time. <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. You caught me on a good week. If you had asked me to do this maybe last week or the week before, I would have been like, absolutely no way. I don't even have room to breathe, let alone record <laughs> a podcast. Um, but yeah, now that we're getting quite close to the end, it's definitely calmed down. So yes, it's been a good week. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. The worst is over. Um, I mean, yeah, having said that, Jess, I, I have to ask you about really Magenta's clients. Um, mm -hmm. Is cost of living and inflation something that, that's coming up a lot in client conversations? You know, are they concerned? And if they are, what are they saying? What's kind of the, what's the feeling among clients at the moment? I think with anything that's acute, so, you know, when the markets crash quite quickly or when inflation suddenly skyrockets, people do panic. And then it's when, you know, they've thought about it or they've come to us for that extra layer of reassurance, people tend to calm down. They're like, oh, actually, it's going to be okay. And I think, you know, 90% of our job is reassuring clients that everything is going to be okay. The questions are a bit more like, they, they start around you know, my assumptions are currently in at 3%. Why? When everywhere in the news at the moment, it's five, then it's six, then it's seven. Um, why is my cash flow saying 3%? So you talk through it and you go through, you know, historically it was um, looking like 2%. We were actually going to reduce our inflation um, last year from 3% to 25 because we thought that was more realistic if we looked at the 30-year average of inflation. Um, and we started implementing that until everything started rising and the conversations were becoming a little bit more tricky to kind of um, argue with our clients. So we've left it at 3%, but we still use that research that we've done as another layer of reassuring our clients that, you know, Yes, at the moment, inflation is high, but 
previously, inflation on a 30-year average is still below 3%. It's really interesting to hear, Jessica, your, the, the kinds of conversations you're having. Um, we're one removed, obviously, from the client. We don't uh, uh, deal direct with customers, but a few areas that we're a little concerned about uh, right now. The first one's the freezing of the lifetime allowance at a time when we've got really high inflation, and we're expecting more and more clients to be seeking advice on what to do if they look like they're at risk of crossing over that lifetime allowance threshold, which will be a big impact, a big issue for more and more people with, with DC pensions. Uh, but on the other hand, um, we think that those who do have access to advice are in such a better position right now, even than ever before, because of things like uh, the money purchase annual allowance, where we're concerned that some clients faced with this cost of living crisis might think, I know what I'll do, I'll dip into my DC pension from age 55, I'll take some money from there only to find that they then are stuck with the money purchase annual allowance of £4,000 and can't rebuild their pensions. And moving away a little further from the advised client uh, space perhaps, but we're also a little concerned that this year might really uh, test auto-enrolment and opting out because so far we've not seen individuals opting out of their workplace pensions but if we get a real cost of living squeeze might we see more individuals thinking I can't stay in this workplace pension or I won't join and of course if they do that they're going to lose their employer contribution so it's a really bad decision to make but, but one that perhaps we need to help individuals avoid taking. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, a question that I'd love to throw out to all of you around this is, is that, you know, when clients, when people are um, tempted to make these drastic decisions about their savings, about their financial plans, is that just a bit of short termism? Is it just acting too soon? When, you know, as, as you were kind of saying, Jess, you know, perhaps a longer term view is needed? It's the wrong thing for the client to do. It is a short-term um, view, but in, in some cases, it's going to be the easiest way out of, of a situation. If we're talking particularly on the low earners scale, to, to, to Stephen's point, uh, really, they, they may be faced with very little choice but to opt out. And, and the, the trick is going to be for the industry to then persuade those people to, to opt back in to to the scheme when uh, when the crisis is is over as it were i think it's a lot of it's a lack of understanding especially with people coming out of the school space starting their first job and not knowing what a pension means or all the benefits to a pension that suddenly get that tick box of oh if i opt out i get an extra 50 pounds a month or you know something along those lines so they're they're going to tick that box without actually understanding what long-term implications that has. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I'd add to that is that however short-term we think customers' decisions might be right now, that's what they're thinking. That's what's in their mind right now. And so I think that we've got a, a role to play in helping them think long-term. One of the, the areas that Egon focuses on is on trying to improve financial well-being. And we see that as not just about how much money someone has, but it's also the mindset they bring to their finances. And at a time when they're seeing inflation skyrocketing and interest rate is still very low volatile markets their mindset will think short term and I think our, our job partly is to try to make them think long term allow them to think long term picture their future self picture what they want that to be to be like and then to plan accordingly not to get bogged down in the very short term crisis 
Absolutely. And I imagine that's increasingly hard to do, right, when, you know, they've got news screaming, screaming at them left, right and centre, you know, highest ever energy prices, you know, pandemic recovery and, you know, the, the war and the implications of that. It's, um, it's, it's hard to block all that out, I imagine. Yeah, I think when you look at the context of, of uh, uh, people have so little in terms of emergency savings. Um, the average, the average consumer in the UK, average customer in the UK has has very little. Um, you know, we're, we're talking less than three months worth um, for for most people. So I think um, that's one disadvantage of the auto enrolment project, if you like, is is that it's it's not addressed that emergency savings um, part first. Um, you know, I, I you know I know this isn't the subject for um, for today, but you know I think it's. Very much, you know, the auto enrolment review hasn't hasn't happened yet, um, or has has happened, but nothing's been done about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's all part of that. I see. Yeah, I mean, what could be done to kind of um, fix that issue? You know, in your opinion, John, or, or anyone, um, when the review comes about. I, I think um, there's a there's an alternative that that perhaps Nest has already suggested in terms of sidecar savings, and um, perhaps in terms of the sidecar saving bit could come first. To build up that emergency savings pot, and then to enrol um, uh, into into the pension after that. So certainly for for the school leaver um, end of, of, of things. Yeah, I think more generally, um, we'd like to see the development of more ISAs being accessible through the workplace alongside workplace pensions. So just giving individuals more options through the workplace to save in different different ways. I suppose there's this the other. Uh, aspect of this is that there is this feeling that some people who've, who've not spent as much during the pandemic have ended up with too much cash. So it's almost like you've got uh, those who've got too much and those who've got too little. And we need to be aware of both those groups when we're trying to find solutions. To play devil's advocate, you know, we're, we're seeing things like um, real assets, you know, having this correlation to equities and bonds for the first time well, you know, that's quite unusual. And, you know, people are talking about that this is a unprecedented sort of market environment. Whether or not that is true, um, you know, is it, what do you think about making these like incremental changes to, to portfolios and to, to your own investments? I think whenever times get volatile is the time that you do nothing. Um, it's, the, it's the classic curve of emotions isn't it when things are great everyone's happy and those are the times that actually you probably should make changes and then when things get tough um that's when emotions rise and people panic and they want to make drastic changes because they think that that is what's going to solve everything um so us just again going through all of the different stress testing in the cash flow forecast and really showing them that you know, the world can throw all of these different unprecedented uh, scenarios at you and you will still be financially secure um, is really the way to go. Yeah, this really is the value of advice, isn't it? It's calming calming people down when they're um, stressed and feeling in mind of, of making rash decisions. Yeah, I think it's 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 crucial to, to make sure, well, make sure that, that the portfolio is diversified enough to handle those shocks in the first place and clearly a, a 30 or 40 year old um, probably shouldn't be in um, too many too much in way of 
of bonds, for example, fixed income that is vulnerable to inflation anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to bring up the spring statement with you last week, the the Chancellor's spring statement and some of the measures that were brought up, um, you know, to kind of help people through um, this time of, I suppose, primarily these these sort of skyrocketing energy prices. Um, You know, we saw a couple of different policies announced. We saw the threshold for paying national insurance uh, was raised uh, by £3,000. It's now in line with income tax. We saw a cut to fuel duty, um, though it was only by about 5p in the pound. Uh, And in 2024, it was announced that income tax would uh, be lowered to 19% from 20% where it currently is. Yeah, it was. Look, it wasn't a a huge budget (laughs) as far as budgets go historically. But I wanted to ask you all. You know, is there anything that you might have noticed in the news um, that that stuck out about any of these measures, the ones I mentioned, or you know, any of the other kind of little ones that were brought up? I'll have a go at that one. Um, So first of all, I I suspect that it wasn't quite as many a budget as we thought it was going to be. Um, I suspect that uh, when Rishi was planning this a few months ago, he was expecting it to be totally different from the one that he actually had to deliver uh, last week. I'm sure he was planning to to further advance the technicalities of his plans to seek economic recovery post post-pandemic. But of course, as you've as you've highlighted, he's facing a cost of living crisis, a war in Ukraine, fuel prices going up and up. So it was a very different spring statement than I'm sure most of us predicted a few a few months ago. To me, the, the thing that stuck out most was what he's done with national insurance and what he didn't reverse with national insurance. So um, what I was surprised about was the significant increase in the threshold for paying national insurance. If he had delayed the introduction of the 1.25% increase, that would have cost him, but only for a year. By increasing the thresholds, That's not something that will just impact on NI receipts in the coming year. It's highly unlikely he will ever be able to reduce that threshold again. So I think we're on a higher starting point for all future years. So the NI receipts in total will be less than they would have been. And the other thing that stuck out a bit was he didn't do an awful lot for pensioners. I thought he might go a little further. Um, So, for example, we know that the triple lock downrated to a double lock will pay 3.1% of an increase this year to state pensioners, half the rate of inflation that's, that's currently running at. I did wonder if he might have done something to maybe bring forward some of the anticipated high increase next year to level it out and maybe given pensioners an extra 2.5% this year on the agreement that they would get 2.5% less than whatever the triple lock paid next year. But he didn't do that, um, and I'm sure some state pensioners will be feeling a little bit concerned about that, particularly if they're very reliant on the state pension to support their, their incomes in retirement. I'm, I'm very much a tax simplification advocate, really. So I, I, I think a, to align the threshold is, is a great idea. It should have happened a long time ago. In fact, I'd go further and say, why don't we just call NI what it is, which is another tax? It's an income tax. Ultimately, I think it's inevitable pensioners will have to pay um, pay for um, sort of the the uh, the pensions of of le- the um, the kind of less well off in retirement as well. The sort of wealthier pensions will have to pay um, pay tax that that will fund fund the state pension. So um, yeah, I I think why why don't we just call it a tax? It might be the first step in that 
in, in a grand plan. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, totally agree, Stephen. Um, it's a you know, it's it, this is an earmarked money for uh, for social care and and uh, and the NHS, and and that's how people understand that. So uh, yeah, definitely, I, I think one other thing that stuck in my mind was. Um, was was the hint that he's going to do something more for business in the um, autumn budget, um, in terms of in terms of helping businesses with with innovation and in investment, and looking again at that at, at uh, sort of business rate relief and so on, which you know I, I think is uh, you know is telling that he's looking at the entrep- uh, the um, uh, the apprentice levy. It's it's not gone down well with businesses um, in it, and it's it's. Uh, um, yeah, it it needs to be addressed. I think really, to to sort of address the the longer term skills gap in in the UK. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because um, you're right. It's kind of forecast that there's going to be further help for businesses in terms of investment. In terms of, I mean, even in the the spring statement last week, you know, it, I think I think there was an offering of a decreasing further uh, or actually getting rid of the VAT that. Um, businesses and households could have if they started using more renewable energy technologies um my i mean my question i'd love to ask you all is um on on business is is there a bit of a dearth of actual help for businesses paying their taxes bearing in mind that we are we are coming out of you know a pandemic and yes it's been a time of growth but as we know small businesses were the ones to to suffer and of course I'm thinking about you know a lot of our listeners who are independent small advice firms. I can only speak on my own experience um when we we've looked at um getting solar panels when we first moved into our house uh about it's about a year ago exactly actually and when we looked I think we got quoted six thousand pounds and then with energy prices starting going up at the start of the year with electricity we thought you know what actually it probably might be cost effective to get the solar panels now save on the electricity bill and it's something that we want to do and we called the company back up and prices had gone up by £2,000 because of the demand for everybody thinking the exact same way that we were. So I think the smaller companies are rising their prices um, to match inflation and they can. So the cuts that they've also made on VAT are pretty much non-existent because I think the companies are still raising their prices because at the moment there's such a demand for these items any way that they can. Yeah, when you put it like that, the, the cut on VAT seems quite um I saw a statistic that you know the average like installation of solar panels in a house is gonna cost you five thousand pounds. And it's yeah, it's I mean you mentioned an even higher price and it's uh yeah it's 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 hefty. <laughs> it's hefty. <laughs> for sure yeah I think a lot of people if if they could and they want to and I think reducing VAT is a great way that the government are trying to incentivize us but I think they're also raising the profile that you know we've made solar panels cheaper and air source heating pumps cheaper but then the demand is there so the these companies are just rising their prices anyway so it's a difficult one 
Absolutely, absolutely, it is. And um, Stephen, you you mentioned uh, kind of measures for for pensioners and how there seemed to be an absence of that in this in this spring statement. I'd love to just circle back to that briefly. Um, and you mentioned kind of you know temporary measures, um, uh, you know, a bit of extra kind of aid over the next year or so. Um, is that is that what you could have seen as being kind of helpful for people who are drawing income in retirement to kind of get them through you know higher cost of living, higher inflation? Yeah. So the 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 measures that have been announced not so much in this spring statement but earlier are around things like uh, rebates on council tax for certain uh, elderly people or for those on uh, on lower incomes or, or with houses that imply that they've got lower incomes, which isn't necessarily the case. And there are also these loans to help with, with fuel costs. These are temporary and these can be turned off and on. And I do um, understand the attraction of trying to target support at where at the closest to root cause rather than making changes in one area that hopefully will feed through and help in another area. So I, I do get that. And um, I, I see that Rishi's under further pressure to confirm that he'll provide further support when energy prices are likely to go up in, in the autumn. And I think he's holding back on that. And I can see his logic there because it's so hard to predict what's going to happen, not, not year on year, but month on month right now. So why would you announce some other support when you don't yet know what fuel prices will look like come come the autumn? So um, I, th I think there's definitely a role for trying to match your support to the very specific cause of the, the cost of living squeeze, if you like, because then you can dial things up and down. It's when you introduce different kinds of change that, that are then locked in for future years, that's the more difficult one to, to reverse out of. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, but that's kind of where my head is right now. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I guess... I guess, and perhaps this is a question, you know, from the financial planning side of things again, but, you know, um, John and Jess, I suppose, what do the financial, actually, Jess, you kind of answered this question before. I was going to say, what does the, what does the planner have to say to, you know, their, you know, um, their client who is in retirement and, you know, is saying, oh, well, how long am I going to have to sort of deal with these, with these costs and, you know, see my, my pension pot, I suppose, I suppose, diminished kind of for slight, you know, slightly more than I expected it to. Um, you know, it's 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 completely right, Stephen. I mean, you can't you can't forecast where what energy prices are going to be like in autumn. Um, I suppose, how does that translate into into conversations with with clients? Yeah. So, like I said, with the cash flow, you just you you do stress testing, and when clients think, okay. If it's an item in particular, so they're not quite sure about fuel costs and if they think that it's going to go up to £3,000 a year or something um, extortionately high, then we can change that item and keep it at that rate forever and say, okay, so we've increased um, how much you're going to be spending on fuel and, and electricity from now until forever at this higher rate. How is that going to impact your lifestyle um, and really show that to them as well so they can see that, you know, with these increased costs, if they never go back down, 
um, then this is how their lifestyle or their financial life will then look. Yeah, I think um, really, I feel sorry for those who are about to decide what to do with their DC pension pot right now, because it's such a difficult time to be working out uh, how to use the pension freedoms. You know, I know that, that, that it's very rare now to buy an annuity, certainly with your whole your whole pot, but at a time when interest rates are so low and inflation is so high, buying a level annuity, you know, is going to guarantee that you're going to lose your real income year on year, possibly significantly. But buying an inflation-proofed annuity must be most expensive ever, you know. Uh, whereas going into drawdown, um, you know, when markets are volatile. You know, you're ret retaining the investment risk, so difficult there. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, for, for many clients, the, the, the best advice, and you touched on this earlier, Jess, you, you said in, in volatile terms, do as little as you can. And that might include take as little income as you can from your, your drawdown pot. Don't deplete it when markets might, might, might be down. Try to draw on, on other sources of income in the meantime. But a hugely dif difficult time for individuals to plan the retirement, particularly uh, where they're coming from a DC um, environment. Yeah, definitely. An annuities, I, I, I've been doing this for three years now, and we haven't recommended a single annuity because rates have just been so poor. Um, and in terms of drawing down, yes, we, we try to say, uh, don't take any money from your drawdown pot if you can, whilst markets are really low. So we like to keep 18 months of any income in cash as we can so that um, if the markets do go down then we can just take that cash and keep the investment stable and then when the markets start to pick up then we just top up that cash reserve then um, back up to the 18 months so yes it can be quite difficult but there's there's loads of things that you put in place to make sure that you aren't disinvesting or making bad decisions um during volatile times yeah that's that's really interesting to know thanks for sharing that jess and like would, would you say with the majority of those clients then because they have those cash reserves that they're working with their main kind of portfolios there's there aren't there aren't changes happening there but that's staying the same yes yeah yeah so in the spring statement last week, uh, the Chancellor kind of touched on a few measures relating to, um, you know, our greener economy. And I think like it did kind of signal, you know, where where the, where the we're at in terms of kind of on one hand, keeping inflation at bay and on the other, you know, needing to, it's not affecting us as much in the UK, but needing to find really alternative uh, sources of, of energy and, you know, being hit by um, these kind of skyrocketing prices in that sector. Um John, I have a question for you, and it's kind of a big one. Um, but you know, with with the with the shortage of energy that we're seeing, with these prices being really high, do we need to worry about you know the sustainable transition, if you like, uh, slowing down? Um, I mean, from an investment standpoint, or just from more generally, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it's interesting you you ask that because I, um, if you if you look at um, some sustainable energy funds. Um, the prices are tracking upwards again after a little bit of a wobble, where where the oil stocks were were raging away. You know, I, I think, um, and and uh, and Jess alluded to it um, a moment ago that the price of solar panels is is going up as well. So, you know, the demand is clearly going up, 
um, it's it's a better time than ever to to be um, investing you know, in that sustainable future. I think there might be some of the wheels might fall off the truck temporarily as we as we look for alternative sources of oil. And um, there might be it might be that we're relying more on um, fracked oil or other types of um, reserves from the United States and Canada, for example. Um, but you know that's at the expense of perhaps uh, Russian um, Russian oil that isn't being imported. So yeah, it's. I don't know. I, th I think overall the driver is positive towards that sustainability. You know, that we've made that commitment uh, publicly and um, at COP26, I think we would stick to it. And overall the government, um, aside from a small kind of element of rebels, is, uh, is pro-support, pro very supportive of that green agenda. And so, so is the opposition. Mm -hmm. I'd say from a client perspective as well, there's a massive demand for people wanting to invest in this way. I would say a huge percentage of especially new clients coming in, that's all they want to invest in. And this, all they want to talk about is actually, if we're going to move forward in this journey and we invest with you, I want to make sure that I'm doing it in a way that is ethical and sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's interesting. And you and you mentioned that word wobble, John. But I think from what it sounds like, you know, this uh, this wobble in in the in renewable renewable energy investing, it's not been enough or long term enough to you know have clients coming to their advisors presumably and saying, oh, you know, hold on, are, are we sure about this whole ESG thing? You know, are we sure that this you know long term was a kind of uh, good investment decision uh yeah, it sounds investments like it's a long-term yeah. game aren't they we all know that you yeah know, we don't make our decisions over over a month or two of of, uh, of uncertainty and uh, you know and the same with with green energy as with any other type of investment really so a good investment and good investment advisor is going to is going to make sure a, a client is is aligned to their values and to their goals really exactly Sorry, Stephen, did you want to jump in? Yeah, just to say that you started with ESG and, you know, the E, environmental, the S, social. So we're in a, in a situation right now where um, we absolutely need to keep pushing the, the net zero agenda, the sustainability agenda from a climate change perspective. There are social impacts of where we currently are, the short term uh, fuel price crisis that are having big social impacts. So, you know, it's not inconsistent to take those into account and perhaps the transition might not be quite as it would have been, but we can't allow this short-term crisis and there will be other crises to derail us from, from the imperative of, of continuing to push the net zero agenda, the sustainability agenda. And I think the, the, the government, separately from the spring statement, there's a lot going on trying to encourage sustainable finance, encouraging the likes of defined contribution pension schemes to invest more in a sustainable way. Um, sometimes it's linked to uh, investing more in productive finance or, or illiquids, uh, which is partly to build back Britain back better and partly um, to, to deliver better returns for, for investors. But um, there, there's a lot going on uh, to, to encourage that. And the, the, the problem with some of the illiquid pushes that 
Are members of defined contribution pensions ready for illiquid investments? Would they be prepared to defer switching funds or transferring schemes or accessing their their pensions flexibly from, from age 55? Probably not. So we need to find ways of resolving those barriers. But the, the, certainly, if I, another surprise I had in the spring statement was there wasn't yet another new initiative to encourage more money into sustainable finance and productive productive capital. But um, there's a lot going on anyway. Do you think that could be something that we see in, let's say, the autumn uh, budget, for example? I'd really like to see the initiatives which have already been announced being allowed to move through into fruition. So we've got the FCA's long-term asset funds due to come on stream. I'm not sure any have so far been launched, but hopefully there are some on the way, which will be there for the likes of DC pension schemes to invest in to give them access to longer-term illiquid investments. But we also need to tackle those issues about daily pricing and liquidity. There's no point throwing yet another new idea into the mix. It's about solving the underlying issues which are currently perhaps stopping uh, a, a, a speedy move in that, in that direction. So that's what I'd prefer to see. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, I mean, do you think, because it feels like there's quite a lot at stake, right, with the with the long-term asset fund in that um, I think when it comes out, it's first going to be a model that's kind of tried with, um, you know, institutional invested, investors as opposed to, you know, the the, the odds uh, retail investor. So it, it feels like there's quite a bit at stake in terms of, you know, making sure for, for pension funds, for example, that that, that model works. But I mean, it's, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's as you say, the, you know, the government is right behind it. And it's, um, it is tied in with that discussion about investing for, for our future, isn't it? So yeah, um, yeah, and I'm sure Jess will have a view on this. But I mean, obviously, if any individual was considering investing in something like that, it's all going to be about diversification and understanding the overall uh, portfolio that you have and, 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 and that you're not uh, putting all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, that feels like a very uh, sensible note to wrap up on. <laughs> and um, I wish we could continue, honestly, because, you know, there's, there's so, there is so much to talk about uh, with, with this kind of cost of living situation that we're seeing. Um, but alas, uh, thank you all so, so much again for being here on your, on your Tuesday afternoons. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at New Model Advisor. Um, or if you have any questions, uh, for our guests or uh, or uh, for me about this episode, you can get in contact uh, via email nblackburn at citywire.co.uk. Thanks very much again, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Nicola. That's very nice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.